In a season full of streaks, another one ends for the New York Knicks as the Toronto Raptors knock them off in overtime. We talk R.J. Barrett's big night, questionable officiating, and did Tom Thibodeau overplay Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle for the second night in a row? You can probably guess our answer, but we'll tell you anyways in just a sec. I'm Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We're now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube. So if you haven't already, head over to YouTube and throw us a subscription so you never miss an episode. That that is huge. You don't want to you don't want to let you don't want to let a great one pass you by. We got a really exciting guest coming up uh, tomorrow morning. So a perfect time to like and subscribe. But until then, I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. He's Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest next website in the whole wide world. And man, oh man, it is a, a painful night uh, to be a Knicks fan because they fell in overtime 123 to 121. Alex missed free throws again, plagued them down the stretch. Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson each missing one inside the final minute. It looked like the Knicks were going to lose in regulation, but R.J. Barrett and maybe the second best play after the buzzer beater against the Celtics of his young career went coast to coast uh, for a vicious dunk that possibly could have been a game-winning and one. Who am I to say? Um, Capping off was a fantastic second half for R.J. Um, Unfortunately, not enough as the Knicks ran out of steam in overtime and fell by two. Yeah, I almost would say it's more impressive than the than the Celtics one, just because of the the presence of mind he had to have to pull that playoff. Like first off, understanding no timeouts left, got to run the floor, gets the board, and didn't rush it. Like he didn't just like switch into full speed and just go, okay, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, and like run down and then take some ill fated layup that you know like wasn't a good shot. He brought it down fast enough understanding how much time was left and then you know took just enough time to take a little hezzy and got inside blew by scotty barnes got fouled didn't get it called uh and finished with that huge dunk and uh really i mean i thought that that was going to be enough of a momentum shifter that the knicks would end up winning it but unfortunately when you have three guys that play uh, three your three core guys play 42 minutes or more rj playing 49 minutes i think they honestly just ran out of steam down the stretch uh, in overtime. So unfortunate ending to what was an amazing play by RJ there, but it wasn't even just that play. I mean, I thought that in the second half, he did a a lot better job. First half was rough for him. I mean, he was just, he couldn't make anything. (laughs) It was just, he wasn't necessarily taking bad shots. It's just nothing was going in. And then in the second half, it all started going in for him. He at least buoyed that, that effort in the first half, with free throws which was good which kind of got him going towards the second half and then second half just fantastic stats 16 points uh six of ten shooting one of four from three three of three from the free throw line uh and i just thought i 
I'm with you, man. Like I thought it was one of his better games or at least one of his better halves of the season so far uh, to end up in the very end of all things with 32 points on 10 of 23 shooting an unfortunate two of nine from three, but 10 of 11 from the free throw line, seven boards and two assists for the game. I, I thought it was a fantastic effort for RJ. Yeah, I thought it was it was a very mature game from him where, I mean, we, we saw him do something that I maybe I, I think in, in the modern NBA guys are figuring this out younger and younger, but it's not something that stars of the past. Like I, I think it took LeBron a while to figure out how to do this net and that's matchup hunt. And RJ did such a good job of repeatedly getting Fred Van Vliet to switch on him and then just taking advantage of Van Vliet, who's a fantastic defender, but is giving up about six or seven inches in that matchup to RJ. And man, he, he had such a good one inside the final two minutes where, where Siakam was guarding him and RJ just kind of um, like baited Siakam into flipping to Brunson, got FVV on him and then started backing down, backing down. And, and FVV was like, all right, I'm in jail. I just got to gamble. Like went for the steal. RJ just spun inside of it. Um, put in the little floater, um, and then in overtime, um, got that really crucial offensive rebound after. It seemed like the Knicks were were just going to lose the game. They were down um, by, what was it? They were down by six, and then Randall got the steal, got the transition dunk, uh, missed the free throw, but RJ, um, oh, and then, sorry, I think it was Mitch got the initial rebound, kicked it out to Grimes. Grimes missed the three, then RJ got the rebound, RJ got fouled, made two free throws, and on a night when the Knicks' other stars really struggled with their free throw shooting, Alex, um, RJ was fantastic in that capacity going 10 for 11 from the line, um, also had seven rebounds, also had two assists to go along with the 32 points. This is a game where he started three for 12. So from that point forward, he was seven of nine from the field. Um, obviously, you would like a better start, but it felt like you could kind of see the the young legs with him and, and also the fact that he, he maybe missed so much time with the finger. He doesn't have quite as much wear and tear as Brunson and Randall do. He, he just seemed to have a lot more juice um, over the second half of this game than those two did. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, I don't think that he or the Knicks were done any favors by the officiating in this game. There was just uh, – Tibbs Tibbs has been known to get a little critical of calls sometimes. And oftentimes, like <clears> – excuse me. I say this pretty much every year at, at some point during the season, like – my normal stance on on referees and fouls and everything is like if it came down to one missed call or something late in the game, you know, you kind of just have to assume that that's a possibility. And, you know, you, your team probably just should have done something better, you know, at, at some point in the game to make it so that it wasn't that everything didn't hinge on that one foul call. But this game, there was a lot of weird, weird officiating and at times it felt like double standards like uh, that RJ. so I already mentioned, I think I don't just think I know. I mean, if you look at the video again, RJ got fouled on that dunk at the end and it was not called like Barnes RJ dunked to his left hand. Cause he's a lefty, but Barnes had his right arm like gripped <laughs> in his hand and it was not called a foul. And that was like an attempt to hold RJ down from dunking the basketball and luckily he had enough spring on him that he managed to get up and do it. But shortly before that Barnes had gotten himself a foul call and there were like, like 50 of these in this game where it was a foul call that originated from the Knicks essentially having a hand lightly placed on the Raptors players back. And like, if you go by 
the rule of law, like as far as what the NBA foul policy is or whatever, like, yeah, I guess technically speaking, that's a foul. But then there were so many things that happened on the other end of the floor against the Knicks, such as at one point a, a play that the Knicks even challenged, which was uh, Fred Van Vliet driving in and Brunson tried to hit him for a, a charge. And then Van Vliet kind of sidestepped him, but also kind of like threw his arm into Brunson's face. And then Brunson got called for the foul. It just didn't make any sense. And there were so many calls like that that proved to be so pivotal in this game. I'm really curious to see what's going to come out in the last two-minute report. Not that it's going to matter because it's not like the Knicks are going to get awarded a win for the refs not knowing how to do their job. But it was this is like the once or twice a year where I look at a game and I say, you know what? This one was so bad that I think the refs cost the Knicks this game and that they have a real gripe here. Um, and it was, it was unfortunate that for a game that I thought that they played really well, they showed some fortitude in this game. Like the Raptors got out early on them and were up by like eight, I think early on, or maybe even pushed it to 10. And it looked like it was maybe going to turn into just another, like one of those weird games where no matter how good the Knicks are playing, the Raptors find a way to just like beat the tar out of them. And it didn't happen. The Knicks like came back and then they took a lead themselves and, looked like they were going to get another win and then it just sort of seemed like at a certain point it was it was time for the Raptors to go to the free throw line a ton of times and and not for the Knicks late in this game so uh I found that to be for as great as RJ's play was I found that to be easily the most disappointing part of this game was the fact that I think that the Knicks really should have won this one if not for if not for the officiating yeah Alex I, I have some thoughts on that and I think another big factor is how many minutes um, both Jalen Brunson and Julius Randall have been playing of late. They, they looked very much worn down to me down the stretch of this game. But Alex, the, the one thing in the world that's almost as annoying as bad officiating is unwanted subscriptions. So if your new year's goals are to manage your budget better and save money, you need rocket money, rocket money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions monitors your spending and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, like the streaming service you bought to watch just one show on or that free trial that you never, ever used. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as a click of the button. Find the subscription you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. I know for me, um, in, 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 the, in my line of work, you sometimes have to subscribe to newspapers to read one article or a couple articles on a team. And then you're like, all right, but I, I don't really need to know what's going on in Albany right now. I don't really need to know what's going on in, I, I don't know, Sacramento. Um, I, I should cancel that. But sometimes you forget. And with Rocket Money, that would never, ever happen to me. So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash locked on. That's rocketmoney.com slash locked on. Rocketmoney.com slash locked on. All right, Alex, with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. Um, I'm with you. I'm with you on the officiating. I, I thought this was a bad game. Honestly, like maybe not, not popular to say. I kind of thought there were some bad calls, even that went against the Raptors. Like to me, what, what killed me in this game was just the inconsistency to your point. Like I heart getting called for like touching someone on like the, on like the small of their back. And then there were like 
shoves that didn't get called it. And it, I mean, I think as a player, like obviously there was a set rule book, but the interpretations of those of that rule book are going to come on gradations from each and every official. And that that's just humanity, right? Unless we go to robo reps, like the MLB is trending towards like this is that is always going to be a thing that is always going to be an issue in sports. But when players can get a field for how it's going early in the game, and then that is consistent throughout, they can adjust, they can acclimate. And I think the, I think when fans get frustrated and when players get, gets, get frustrated, it tends to be because a call is made in the last couple of minutes. That is not a call that would have been made earlier in the game or vice versa. And that is unfair to the players because they are playing a game that they are extremely good at, but can't win because they don't know what the rules are at a certain point. And that, that gets very, very tricky. Um, and I think the other big issue for the Knicks in this one was the fact that uh, last night the Knicks were playing uh, the Detroit Pistons, uh, one of the worst teams in the NBA, missing uh, their two best players in Kate Cunningham and uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. And despite that, Julius Randle played 40 minutes and Jalen Brunson played 42 minutes. Uh, that, that was not good. And, and to be fair, the Knicks needed it to some extent because the Pistons were threatening. Um, but you look, you look at a guy like Obi Toppin, had no chance to get in rhythm. You look at a guy like Deuce McBride, um, who has, has fallen out of favor despite that astronomical uh, net rating still being in place. He only played five minutes that night. Um, and then again today, um, that trend was true. And, and to some extent, um, I, I agree that they needed to play down the stretch. But I, I look, Alex, at the bench and you see Emmanuel quickly with 14 points, made all seven of his free throws, 21 minutes on the court, got it in the final two minutes. And the second he entered into the game, made a game-changing play when, when, he, when he drove that uh, closeout by Fred Van Vliet and got fouled by OG Ananobi at the rim on a reverse layup. Like, IQ has been playing as well as anyone on this team, not named Brunson or Randall. Um, and for him to not get on the court, and instead for those guys who were just clearly gassed to be forced to play, like – essentially the whole fourth quarter and all of overtime. Like you could look at it for Jalen Brunson. He scored his first bucket in the fourth quarter with seven minutes and 17 seconds left. He didn't score again until he made that one free throw inside the final minute. I, I thought fatigue was just a major, major problem for those guys. Yeah. And it's, you know, it comes back to some Tibbs hallmarks, right? Like Brunson played 1153 out of the fourth quarter. RJ played 12 minutes. Randall played eight, you know, so they all closed that quarter out and then played, uh, you know, the entirety of overtime you saw, like, I mean, it was, it was due to uh foul trouble, you know, to, to him fouling out, but like the Raptors did eventually sub another guy in, but in, in overtime, but like, I feel like they also managed their guys a little better going into the possibility of an overtime. And the Knicks do sort of have to your point that, that sort of, uh, luxury i guess of having a guy in quickly that's playing so well i don't understand why they didn't throw him in for one of like even if you just do like for rj or for for brunson i would probably brunson would be the guy i mean he played so many minutes yesterday and then played you know as many minutes as he did today including playing basically the entire fourth quarter and then all of overtime it's like Give him just a small, small rest at the beginning 
of that overtime. And maybe that makes a difference down the stretch, you know, because he's the guy that you're probably going to want taking that final shot. He was the guy that took the final shot. And look, if that shot goes in, we're not going to be, we're probably not talking about this. You know, we're just like, oh my God, Jalen Brunson, what a warrior. He made it, you know, but in retrospect, when you're staring a loss in the face, you you can't help but think to yourself, like, would that have slightly gone differently if he was just slightly more rested, you know, after the, you know, if he got like a minute or whatever and, and of rest at the beginning of overtime and then at the first stoppage of play, you sub him back in for quickly. Like, would that have really changed anything for the Knicks in that overtime when everybody was dead-legged? You know, to get some fresh legs in there could have proved to be an advantage for the Knicks. You know, to have someone in there with fresh legs that didn't just close out the fourth quarter for like 10 straight minutes and had a little more pep in his step. So we'll never know, but it's it's just one of those minor annoyances with how Tibbs manages games. And to your point, could have all been avoided in many ways if they had just trusted their bench a little more against one of the worst teams in the league yesterday uh, and, you know, just not played all of their, their uh, big three, mid three, whatever, 40 plus minutes or whatever it worked out to yesterday. Um, yeah, maybe that changes things for them. So I don't know. There's no way to, no way to know for sure. It's all, it's all hypothetical, but I, I'm ultimately with you there. I, I wish that they would have done things a little differently these last two games. And again, granted, you know, maybe if some of the officiating goes differently or Brunson makes that shot at the end, all we're talking about right now is like, wow, another four game win streak. What a what a life we're living right now, you know, watching this team. But after a loss, it's like, all right, well, now we got to it, it makes more sense to take a look at this stuff from a little more sober of a perspective and and say, like, yeah, all right, maybe they win this game, if not for the fact that that Brunson and Randall were just so extremely gassed. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess I, I just wonder what the plan is with Obi Toppin because we're, we're kind of back to square one with him, right? I, I thought he played pretty well when he was in. Like, this this might have been the best he's looked since he came back. Uh, 11 minutes, two for four, hit the one three, uh, finally got a run out. I mean, I've been, I've been man, I've, I don't know about you, Alex. I've, I've been fiending now for, it feels like mm-hmm. a month, for, for an Obi Toppin transition dunk, and we finally got one. Um, I thought his rebounding, even though he only had two rebounds, like, I thought it was, like, good. Like, he was just flying around and, like, tipping balls and, like, and the the fear with him against a team like the Raptors, like, oh, you're just going to get killed in the glass? Like, that wasn't really a substantial issue, at least as far as my eye test when he was in. And I thought his activity against his Toronto team, like, we like I, I mean, I mentioned the shot making with Brunson, like only the one field goal in the fourth quarter. But it was pretty clear collectively there was a lot of fatigue in just how many offensive rebounds the Raptors got in this game uh they finished with 14 it felt like more than that it felt like every crucial board if the Knicks were getting it it was because they were absolutely fighting tooth and nail or like or or winning the race off of a tip ball but to me that just screams that they weren't boxing out quite enough and that combined with the turnovers I mean Brunson in the first quarter was was uncharacteristically sloppy like he he got his pocket picked he got stripped by Fred Van Vliet RJ also got stripped by Fred Van Vliet, and and that is a a, a deadly combination against a Toronto team that is never going to be super duper efficient, right? They're just they're just not like they shot decently from the field. Oh, actually, I'll, I'll correct myself. They didn't. They shot terribly from the field this game. They shot thirty nine point six percent from the field. They shot twenty nine and a half percent from three. Um, they were in this one because they got up ninety six shots, um, and they got up forty one free throws, and they made thirty four of them. 
Like they were, they were just creating extra possessions and they were creating quality shots around the rim that the Knicks were forced to foul on by out physicaling the Knicks. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, it, it was, it, it was just annoying. The, the Raptors, I'm with you too, the creating extra opportunities I don't know what gets into the Knicks when they face the Raptors, so they so clearly have a size advantage on as far as being able to get rebounds and stuff, but suddenly they just, like, the Knicks, who are such a great rebounding team, especially when Mitch and Julius are playing together most of the time, just, like, forget how to do it against the Raptors so often. Either that or the Raptors are just so handsy compared to most teams when it comes to getting rebounds that it throws them off, but, like, I feel like every time the Knicks play the Raptors, it's, like, the narrative going in is, like, this Raptors team doesn't really have any like traditional size. And yet then they're just nabbing tons and tons of rebounds uh, because they're just doing those weird little tap outs and creating extra possessions. And then always seems to find its way to like Fred Van Vliet, who's just waiting or uh, Gary Trent, who's just waiting there wide open to take a, a three point shot because their man already crashed in to try to get the rebound or whatever and didn't get it. It's just very frustrating. It's annoying. Uh, we got more to talk about though, uh, including, some more individual player notes and, and just some stuff to wrap this game up. But first I do have to let everybody know that today's show is brought to you by betonline.net. Betonline.net is your number one source for betting odds and information. And you could get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football, to college bowl season to basketball and the world cup. Well, the World Cup's passed, but whatever. They've got it all, betonline.net. Even the stuff that's already happened. Uh, if you love sports podcasts, you can even find those at BetOnline as well. And they're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the, no great Knicks lines that I can see for the moment. But for today, Tuesday, uh, the Crosstown team that we normally don't speak of, the Nets, I actually like the minus six and a half versus the Spurs. They're on a two-game losing streak. The Nets are, and they're starting a long road trip. I think I think they'll probably cover that pretty easily. So if you want to go win a little bit easy money, that feels like pretty easy money to me uh, on this Tuesday. But if you want to check it out for yourself, head to the website betonline.net today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. All right, and we're back, Gavin, uh, talking about this Raptors and Knicks game, and I, I'll I'll leave it to you. Well, you know what? No, I'm not going to leave it to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take this opportunity to shout out Quentin Grimes. I I thought he had a really great game. His stats don't really fly off the page, uh, although I guess the rebounds kind of do for him. Like ten, it, actually, it's really funny. I just ended the last segment saying it was frustrating how the Knicks couldn't seem to get enough rebounds or whatever and yet they out rebounded the raptors 54 to 42 in this game that's like not a small margin and yet it just didn't feel like they were based off all those tap outs that the raptors were generating but uh grimes has seven boards to go with 10 points three five shooting two four from three couple assists as well and a steal and a block the rebounding was what really stood out to me. My favorite sequence of the entire game was Quentin Grimes early on in this one. I think it was in the first quarter, maybe early second quarter, just deciding like the Raptors will not get a rebound here and we will score the freaking ball. And it's just going to happen. I forget who took the first shot. I think it was Randall, but Grimes just comes flying in to get the rebound and 
resets a little bit and then finds Brunson outside for a three-point attempt. Brunson shoots it, misses. Grimes comes flying in from some other angle, grabs the rebound again, and he was like deep in traffic. So like he had to show off a little bit of a handle here and certainly a great control over himself and the ball and everything to, you know, make this happen. But then in a sea of Raptors that he had just like inexplicably jumped in and like skied over to grab the second rebound, manages to lure them in enough to then whip one of his like almost signature like around the body passes to Mitch to finish off the possession. It was, it felt very Grimes-esque. You know, it was just like, like no quit. Let's just make this happen. Uh, normally you see it more on the defensive end, but it was like he took his his normal like defensive prowess and decided to transfer those skill sliders over into his rebounding sliders for just a second and, you know, just go absolutely bananas to get that board and then get that assist. Uh, I thought that, all in all, he had a fantastic game, but Gavin, that that play and that sequence really, really stood out for me uh, from him in this game because that was also at sort of a, a crucial point early in the game where the Knicks were falling prey to so many of those missed rebound opportunities, and he was just like, no, this is my time to go get some rebounds here real quick. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's an important note. The Knicks were, were kind of answering the Raptors' offensive rebounding with great Offensive rebounding of their own. I mean, Mitchell Robinson, as usual, really stood out in that category, had five. Jalen Brunson had four offensive rebounds in this game. Grimes had three. Randall had three. Hartenstein and McBride both had two off the bench. So I felt like the Knicks were, were sort of like, all right, we see we see what you're doing. We'll, we'll, we'll raise you one. And they were they were fantastic in that capacity. Um, but Grimes, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly note, like a, a little pushback, even though I agree with you that that play was amazing. Um, defensively, he had two pretty bad moments in this one where he bit on that Van Vliet pump fake. And then um, as Clyde pointed out, still was able to rotate and get like a pretty decent contest, but Van Vliet hit a crucial three as the Raptors were coming back down the stretch. And then to me, the far more egregious one was in overtime where, um, so he he's guarding Van Vliet at the top of the key. And then, oh, no, sorry. He was, he was guarding Siakam. Oh no, he was, I'm, I'm getting this mixed up. He's guarding Van Vliet. Mitchell Robinson is guarding Siakam. Um, and then Van Vliet comes over and sits a back screen on Mitch and, and Grimes seemingly doesn't communicate to Mitch that the screen was coming. But then if, if Mitch gets caught there, Grimes just has to switch on Siakam or that's a dunk. And Grimes never moved. And Siakam just caught a pass, cutting straight to the rim for a dunk. Again, that, that's one of those plays where you're like, you, you could push that off to fatigue. And on a night where Quentin Grimes was out there for 40 minutes. And, and again, someone inexplicably, Emmanuel, quickly only played 21. You could say, all right, I mean, that that tracks that he was he was wiped and he wasn't thinking and he, and he gave one up. But that, that's another one of those plays that, like, if it's defended a little bit differently, like, could have swung this game for the Knicks. Um, and then I want to circle back on, on Julius real quick, because even though he didn't shoot well in this one, 7 of 20, uh, missed that big free throw down the stretch, which, which knifes you. And, and honestly, like, I, I didn't have confidence that he was going to make both those free throws down the stretch. Did have 15 rebounds, did have eight assists, and played what I thought was about as close as you could come to like a perfect first quarter offensively. Um, particularly the way he got Mitchell Robinson going in this game. Like, like first, like hit Mitch on a lob, um, where, where it was just it was just perfectly paced. Like he, he was just waiting for Mitch to come down the lane, perfect trajectory on it. Um, and then pump Scotty Barnes into oblivion, let Mitch's man come up, hit him on a second lob. And, and, and these were two guys, Alex, last year they may be connected on. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess this is pretty close. Four lobs the whole season. Like, that that was two and six minutes. 
Um, and then torched Scotty Barnes on a crossover, sped in for a big jam, again sped by Scotty Barnes, again slipped it into Mitchell Robinson for his third dunk of the quarter off of a Randall pass, then hit a wing three, then crossed over Watcher Hernan Gomez and got another dunk. So the combination of the passing and athleticism, like if I were to quickly sum up, like plus the three-point rate, what is different about Julius Randle? It's that. I actually went back and looked. During his second-team All-NBA season two years ago, he had 25 dunks the whole season. Halfway through this season, he already has 24 dunks. So he is he's better athletically, certainly, than he's ever been on the Knicks, and I, I would argue at any point throughout his career. Yeah, Randle at this point, I, I had a thought to myself when he hit – when he hit those dunks in this game, he's done like one of those every single game for the last like three, maybe more games, you know, mm-hmm. like he's uh, both of the other games over the weekend. He, he also hit like one of those like thunder dunks in, in at least one of each of the games. And I'm trying to think which, uh, who, whose life was it that he completely ended? Was it Sadiq Bay? Or, I mean, there was the one where he just absolutely went crazy and like I jumped. Think Gaff- I think it was Gafford, maybe. I thought it was. Gaff- oh, maybe it was Gafford. Yeah, maybe that one was the Wizards. I don't know. I mix those two games up because I watched them like back to back. So, but like, yeah, it, it was. Uh, he's He's been just athletically looking different. You know, it's like that's where it reminds me of remember two years ago. And, you know, we've occasionally said this this year where it's like every once in a while when you're watching Randall it makes you think about LeBron <laughs> with the way that he does certain stuff yeah. and you know, the way that he just blows by and then it's just like time to elevate and just like gets up and like climbs the ladder and just absolutely dunks all over everybody. And, and not just doesn't just dunk, but dunks in such a way that it just feels like it completely, if you're on the road sucks all the air out of the room, or if you're at home, just completely makes the crowd a, an entire part of the game again, you know, like makes them the sixth man on the court. And Randall has been has been busting those out like crazy lately, uh, particularly in the most recent games. So it's kind of cool to see him. I feel like he almost deliberately for a while, maybe to prevent injury or whatever, was was avoiding doing that sort of thing. And I, I've always sort of felt the same way with RJ. But then in this game, we see both of them do it. You know, RJ down the stretch just really looked poppy. Uh, you know, with that that final dunk, obviously, and then you know, he's kind of been looking more vertical too. It's like both of them have just kind of had the switch go off of like, maybe we should just start dunking on people. (laughs) And and RJ also, I mean, I forgot to mention, had that sick no look to Randall for Randall's second dunk of this game. Yeah, which was great too. Um, I I don't know, but Alex, was there like one other guy who stood out to you in this one? Yeah, I actually wanted to give a little shout out to to Hartenstein. Uh, Mm. Normally, I'm not, I have not been super thrilled with him this season overall, but much like I was saying with regard to Mitch um, and how in some of the previous games he sort of got uh, a little uh, – what's the word? He was not done any favors by the officials. Let's put it that way to put it politically. Um, I, I feel like Hardenstein played probably one of his best defensive and just like overall games of the season in this one, despite the fact that he only had two points like – I thought his five rebounds, he really fought like hell for those. Uh, you know, he in 15, 16 minutes, I, I thought that he did everything you could have wanted out of him uh, and honestly made the Raptors' lives really hard and just got really crushed, you know, just like so many Knicks did by not knowing how physical he was allowed to be uh, with certain guys. And then meanwhile, you know, on, on the, like getting called for fouls on one and then, you know, going up for rebounds and stuff, getting mugged and not getting calls in his favor. It just, I thought that he played a really good game. Uh, 
you know, it's still just a one game aberration to me, potentially, unless we start seeing better out of him all the time going forward. But for one night, at least or one day, you know, for this day game, I thought that he did really well. Um, I guess the last thing that I'm sure that we would both want to make sure to acknowledge before closing out the show too. of course, it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day and, you know, the NBA always celebrates it. So just would give it thought, you know, the, the Knicks played little quotes throughout the, the broadcast or whatever, but Clyde always, always makes the most poignant point as far as I'm concerned, as far as uh, Martin Luther King Jr., which is without him and the civil rights movement. And it's such a small piece, obviously in the grand scheme of humanity, but the thing that we enjoy that we get to do a podcast on would not be the same at all without his contributions to the civil rights movement and, and really sparking it as he did. Uh, and you know, so uh, in general, his his contributions are are far reaching. But as far as the game of basketball, if we're looking at it through that that scope, he created so many opportunities for guys that we get to watch every day now. And and it's always cool every year to see uh, the players. But as I said, especially Clyde uh, get to speak about uh, Dr. King's impact. So that was that was cool in the broadcast today as well. Yeah, I mean, and he was he mentioned it during the broadcast, and it feels. It feels weird, right? Because we, we grew up with Clyde and he's, I mean, he's into, into both of our adulthood. He's, he's still doing this and you can forget how long ago, or, or, or you could look at it the other way and say how recent it was in, in the grand scheme of things that he played. Um, but he was talking about how like during his career, like there were quotas on how many black players you could have on a team, which is, I mean, in, in what is, um, and look, the NBA, like we don't have to get too far into it. Like, certainly still has massive, massive issues. Like, I mean, most notably like their relationship with China right now. Um, and then there's the whole Daryl Morey uh, fiasco around that a year ago, but what is generally considered a very forward thinking league, it's kind of crazy to think about how, I mean, 20 years into its existence, that was, that was still a massive problem and, and a league that is, is driven by and large by black players. Like, literally said you can only have this many on your team and and Clyde said you know what in New York it, w- it wasn't as much of an issue even though I mean you look at those championship teams and they were like there was a lot of white guys on them I don't I don't know how else to to frame it um but he was saying in New York like he didn't he didn't really think that was like a phenomenon that was taking place but that was sort of an unspoken rule in, in other places and it it influenced um who got into the league how players were were treated in the league um and that's not to get into like what was going on like the 20 years before that which was like even worse and like players literally not being allowed to eat with their teammates. Um, and I, I guess I just say all that to say like, like it's, it's relative, it is all relatively recent history. Um, it is issues where we're all still grappling with today, but it's, it's Clyde is like so integral to be on there to say like, Oh, I, I live this. This isn't something I read about. Like this was, this was my experience. So I, I think that's, that's cool to have as Knicks fans. Yeah. And gives you a, it just puts into in the scope, uh, how far we've come and yet how far there still is to go as far as civil rights in this country. So, yeah, Clyde's always my favorite person to listen to on that day, and it, it did not disappoint today. So, anywho, thank you all for listening. Uh, we will have a number of good episodes for you guys this week. Uh, I think we have Mike Scotto coming for tomorrow's episode. So that will be our Wednesday episode. I think we're planning on perhaps doing some trade targets uh later on this week and then of course some more game recaps for you all as well so till next time when we've got more great stuff coming thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you all soon
Peace out.